Ed Morrissey Show podcast. Today is Friday, July 22nd, 2022. Happy Friday to everybody. Lots of interesting news today coming up on the weekend. Still hot here in Texas, by the way, just to let you know. We're still in three-digit territory here in Texas. And uh, it's warm in most of the United States uh, this week, of course. And uh, hopefully some of you are going to get some relief of that over the weekend. We might actually get into the 90s sometime next week. Um, those are the days we celebrate, of course. Lots of news, though, today, uh, this morning. And, of course, we start off with the attack on Lee Zeldin in New York, where a um, apparently inebriated uh, 43-year-old man tried to attack Zeldin on stage in a campaign stop, in the gubernatorial campaign. His running mate, Allison Esposito, who was a former New York City police uh, officer, ended up being part of the team that tackled this guy, but the guy was armed with what appears to be bladed brass knuckles. You can see it in uh, the, screen free, uh, the screen grab from the video, and it could have been a whole lot worse. Apparently, Zeldin just got a, a minor scrape, which, um, you know, the news report said nobody considers that an injury, which is true, um, but it could have been a lot worse. And um, the big issue that came out of that was they released the guy. They booked him and released him on his own recognizance. This is a guy who had uh, what had to have been an illegal weapon um, on him committing a felony. Second degree, second degree assault is a felony in New York. That was what he was charged with. And then he, they didn't even require him to post bail. He was released on his own recognizance, which Zeldin himself actually predicted <laughs> after the attack. And, um, I mean, it's amazing uh, that this actually is... Uh, the type of thing that you can expect in New York. And it's one of the things that Zeldin has been talking about. Zeldin and Esposito have been talking about this on the campaign trail, that New York City's laws are too lax, that they don't keep criminals behind bars. And that's one of the reasons why Zeldin is running for governor against uh, Kathy Hochul, who is the incumbent that replaced Andrew Cuomo when Cuomo, uh, when Cuomo resigned. Uh, Hochul did express um, uh, her... Um, uh, anger over the attack and and uh, her I, I guess her well wishes, which is good um, to Zeldin uh, on Twitter. I'm sure that she's probably going to communicate with him more directly later on. But uh, I mean, this is the type of thing that the, the, this own recognizance release is inexplicable in a political attack like this. This man should at least have been forced to post significant bail. Uh, to get out of jail pending his uh, pre-trial hearing. This is, it's nonsense. Other news today. Well, Axios has um, apparently found the secret radical plan of Donald Trump to drain the swamp in 2025 if he gets reelected. And it's not so secret. <laughs> it's not so radical either. It's the same plan that Donald Trump belatedly tried to implement in October 2020 a month before the election, which was more of a stunt. At the time, it didn't even get a whole lot of attention because it was more of a stunt. But he wanted what he wants to do is reclassify 50,000 federal workers uh, out of over 2 million, about 2%, um, maybe slightly over 2% of the federal workforce, and reclassify them out of the civil service protections and into a more normal uh, employment, at-will employment situation. And Jonathan Swan says, you know, these are 50,000 Americans who have a profound effect on American lives. And my comment on that is, <clears throat> if those 50,000 people have a profound effect on American lives, then they should answer to the political um, 
uh, to the elected officials uh, who voters choose to govern them. It shouldn't be that 50,000 people who have a profound effect on American lives can operate without accountability. And this is part of this whole Wilsonian, uh, you know, government by elitist expert class uh, philosophy that we've been living with for a century in which the pandemic largely showed as, uh, as an empty uh, ideology. So I, I, I do question whether Trump's the guy to do it. He didn't do it the first term. He barely even got around to it in the first term. And, uh, and there were some other issues in the first term, which, uh, which indicate that Trump isn't really the guy to do it. But I actually think it's a really good plan. And I'm hoping that whichever Republican gets nominated in 2024 actually follows through on it. So be sure to read about that. And this is not to knock Jonathan Swan's reporting. It's an interesting report. And there's a lot more to it. I really just focused on the Schedule F issue. But um, there's a lot more to it. There's more in terms of foreign policy, some of which I don't like. Um, but the Schedule F stuff, yeah, we need to get the federal bureaucracy to be a lot more accountable uh, in the way that it is governing Americans, especially because it's not self-governance uh, that's going on here. If you can't, if, if the elected officials can't hire and fire these people at will based on their policy, then it's not self-governance any longer. And that's a fundamental problem with the federal bureaucracy. And so one of the reasons why Drain the Swamp was such an effective slogan for Trump in 2016, against Hillary Clinton especially, um, could be again. But I would suspect that perhaps we'd be better off with a different person doing the draining the next time around. Uh, a couple other things that are going on. Uh, we have a Marquette poll showing that it is that the effects of the Dobbs decision and overturning Roe uh, may not have any real impact on enthusiasm at all in the midterms. And to the extent that it has any impact, it might actually generate more enthusiasm among Republican voters. So that's a VIP uh, post that I put up earlier today. If you're a VIP or a VIP Gold member, you can access my entire analysis there. Uh, but the Marquette Law Poll, obviously, you can go to Marquette's uh, website to read the poll yourself. But I suspect that um, this is uh, an answer to some of the questions that have been raised since Dobbs, really since the leak in May, right, about whether or not the Supreme Court decision was going to impact the midterms. Uh, I think it may impact it a little, but not in the direction that people assumed it did. And I think it's one of the reasons why the aggregations of the uh, generic balloting have been remarkably stable even after the leak. Uh, so I talk, discuss all those things. Uh, you can take it. I haven't given everything away. Be a VIP member and then go read my analysis there. Also, the Washington Post, and this is a later. This is later on in the morning. The Washington Post has a uh, analysis saying that the jobs market is starting to show cracks. So there, there are at least amber lights starting to flash in the jobs market. This is an indication of um, a possible recession coming on, and maybe quicker than people assumed it would. And so we've got the GDP report coming out next Wednesday, I believe it is. We'll see what the Q, we'll see what Q2 looks like, but I would suspect that we are going to see an actual um, drop in consumer spending. I don't know if it's going to be a contraction in consumer spending, but I think that uh, consumer spending and business investment are going to be smaller than it, than they were in the first quarter, and that is going to be a big problem as those Federal uh, Reserve interest rates start to go up. 
Uh, Jazz Shaw's back. He's doing lots of great stuff. It's actually his day off, but he's sticking around because Allah Pundit has the day off today. Uh, he's got some fun posts here. Uh, Russia and Turkey are, are claiming that they've uh, reached a deal to allow grain shipments through the Black Sea again. Hopefully that will help with um, some hunger issues in Africa and elsewhere. Uh, a Walgreens cashier refused to sell condoms. And <laughs> I'm going to tell you, I sent Jazz a clip of uh, that scene from summer of 42 where Hermie tries to go in and buy uh condoms at the at the local uh at the local pharmacy um i, I don't think jazz included it in the post but you should you can look it up on youtube it's actually kind of a funny scene um and lots more uh lots more coming up as well we've got uh, karen townsend doing some uh contributions john sexton hasn't started anything yet as of the recording this morning but He'll be around and he can, uh, he is going to have lots to say. So a big day here at uh, hotair.com. Hopefully you're going to be around for it and hopefully you're going to enjoy the next segment, which is a discussion I had with AJ Kaufman of alphanews.org about the, um, about the, um, uh, primaries about the about the stories of the day but specifically about the primaries in missouri and arizona and what that might tell us about the midterms as well stay tuned for more from the ed morrissey show podcast welcome back to the ed morrissey show podcast and joining me now one of my good friends fellow minnesotan back when i was in minnesota AJ, and back when he was a Minnesotan, for that matter, too, AJ Kaufman of Alpha News, alphanews.org. And uh, we've, we're, both, uh, we're both expats from, from Minnesota these days. AJ landed in Ohio, and I'm in the great state of Texas. AJ, great talking to you again. Yeah, you don't hear a lot about people fleeing Minnesota. You hear about them fleeing California, New York, maybe Illinois. But uh, people are fleeing Minnesota for possibly similar reasons. I, I think so. I think it's just a little, there's a whole lot less people in Minnesota. Fewer people, I guess you could say, yeah. in Minnesota. So maybe maybe the exodus isn't as noticeable. And of course, you know, having lived in Minnesota as long as you and I both did, we know that, you know, we're, we're, we're sort of unassuming folks, so we don't make a whole lot of noise when we're leaving. <laughs> No, we, not a whole lot of noise. We just we just drive quietly. Just drive quietly across the border into places like Ohio and Texas. And uh, so we're not going to talk Minnesota today because neither one of us are there. But we are going to talk uh, about some national politics. And we're going to talk about a couple other states too. Minnesota, I mean, Missouri and Arizona. We're going to talk about Missouri and Arizona Missouri. later. Um, but um, we are going to also talk about Joe Biden and... One particular aspect, and AJ's writing about this, and frankly, it hadn't even occurred to me, but as bad as Joe Biden is crashing in the polls, normally you would see an adept political operation start looking for, you know, a, a few lineup changes, like, you know, go out to the mound, call in the, call in the left-handed reliever, maybe uh, make a couple position switches just to see if you can't uh, kickstart the team. Um, I'm out of baseball analogies, AJ. You got to take it. That was there. good. That was good. That was good. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you know, it's we always hear about Hillary Clinton warming up in the bullpen for like the last eight years, you know, in case she wants to run again. Which, Good uh, Lord. <laughs> but uh, and Joe Biden's lost a little zip on his fastball. We hear that a lot. Um, but uh, yeah, th this, you know, a few people have left. Jen Psaki, obviously, that's a job people don't stay in usually more than a year. The press secretary, uh, the communications director, Bettingfield is leaving soon. But as far as the cabinet, there have been zero changes. So we're 18 months into the into the into the presidency, exactly, and um, no one's left. And even any honest person would probably tell you 
that things aren't going great. I think the polls, to even even an honest liberal would say the polls are showing things aren't going great. And um, Biden, you know, he obviously likes to blame everyone from, you know, Putin to the oil companies to Republicans to whomever to you and me probably gas station um, owners. He likes yeah, to yeah, demonize gas, gas station owners. Yeah, Jeez. those 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 rich mom and pop people that you see in the road that are probably making you know, well, you know, they're not making a lot of money. They're, no. they're certainly not making as much as as a uh, as a federal employee that works under Joe Biden. So you would think he would have made some moves. And obviously, the, a few come to mind right away. Mayorkas, Alejandro Mayorkas, who's been overseeing or not overseeing the border crisis, the worst in certainly in 15, 20 years and probably in history, um, demonizing our border agents and things like that. He, he's not gone anywhere. Um, you know, we can, we can whine about Merrick Garland and we can whine about Janet Yellen. They haven't done too well, Attorney General and Treasury Secretary. You've got an interior secretary and an energy secretary, Deb Holland and uh, Jennifer Granholm, respectively, who don't seem concerned at all about the number one issue, which is gas prices. They probably like them. They, they drive electric cars or Teslas or whatever, and they live in big cities. And they're not concerned about people who need to drive for work every day and drive for errands. And of course, other punching bags, I don't say that in a, in a malicious way, but you know, Anthony Blinken and Tony Austin, or sorry, Lloyd Austin, Tony Blinken, Lloyd Austin, defense and state, you think Afghanistan would have been a way they would have been held accountable for some errors, blunders. And then you've got a guy who I haven't seen in about a year and a half, but I know he's there, Javier Xavier Becerra, the Health and Human Services Secretary, who you think during a pandemic <laughs> might be around. Now, maybe he deferred to Fauci and Walensky, and maybe that was a mistake too, but he's someone you think would be uh, under pressure. But a year and a half, no one's gone I would assume, Ed, that after the midterms, people will leave, whether they're resigning or being let go. But I, you know, I would think with all the turnover they've actually had, they actually have had a lot of turnover among staff, Kamala's staff and other staff members, right. but not among the cabinet or really key staffers. And you know, it's just interesting to me. Well, I, I, I think it's it's interesting to me too, and I, honestly, it's not something I had thought about a lot. Uh, I mean, we've certainly written a lot about the exodus of staffers from Kamala Harris's office, which has been prodigious. I mean, everybody leaves Kamala Harris's office, and in the first two years, that's pretty that that's pretty unusual. Um, Biden hasn't had as many people leave, and the only people that I know of that have left are Comms Group, um, and and you know, there's been some complaint about messaging that's come from Capitol Hill Democrats, and that might be those are just well, Saki was. Never going to stick around terribly long anyway. Uh, she was going to go back into the private sector and make her money. But um, I, I am I was surprised by Bettingfield's departure because she wasn't really out front. She was a behind the scenes person, where the pressure would be at least slightly less. And uh, you know, and you know that's relative. It's a high pressure job no matter what. But yes. um, the cabinet thing though is interesting, and I think. What I would pose, what I would pose to you as a potential reason why we haven't seen any of those adjustments, is because Joe Biden doesn't recognize that his policies are failing in any of those areas. So, and the reason why I say that is this: normally you'd say, "Well, look, I mean, we, we've had an issue with defense policy. We really need to reshift defense policy. That means we need to bring in more personnel. Whether or not the existing personnel would be amenable to those changes, normally personnel is policy." And you want to just get a fresh start with fresh people who are really committed to whatever the new policy is. 
There hasn't been any new policy. I mean, literally everything in, in, in the Biden administration has been stay the course. Stay the course on economics. Stay the course on energy. Uh, stay the. Uh, who is the energy secretary these days? I don't even know who the energy secretary is. Jennifer sec Granholm. Jennifer Granholm. Right. I mean, not an impressive person, in my opinion. Not an impressive person, former governor, not really an expert in the field. But then again, neither was Rick Perry, who was a former governor who became energy but governor secretary. governor of Texas, a little but, different than governor. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah exactly. It's, a, it's an energy producing state. He well, had Ed, a lot of knowledge of the in this think, particular area. What do you think of, I mean, I, you know, I try not to get into the, the weeds or the, I'm not, certainly not into the conspiracies, but when you have a cabinet that you've put up, put together, mainly based on identity politics, woke politics, yep. some would call it the affirmative action. You've got to have this ethnicity, this gender, this sexual preference. We didn't even mention Transportation Secretary Buttigieg, who you don't hear much about the Transportation Secretary, but when you have a disastrous supply chain crisis, and he's AWOL, and then he's passing the blame, you, you hear about him. So right. I would assume about 80% of people that are in positions probably aren't qualified. Now, Janet Yellen probably was qualified, but she's just terrible. She's 76 now, and she's lost some zip on her fastball, too, uh, if she ever had a good fastball. Well, I mean, she was one of the most serious people that they appointed. Janet right. Yellen was highly respected in this field. And and I think part of the problem with Yellen isn't so much that she's lost zip on the fastball. It's that she is basically... Um, She's flashing signals to Joe Biden, who's doing his own pitch selection anyway. I mean, this, this baseball thing's good. He's shaking off the pitches, right? Yeah. She might be. She also called inflation transitory. Um, and that's well, a mistake yeah. that even you and I, who are novices compared to her in terms of experience in economics, we, we she doesn't go to the grocery store, obviously. She doesn't. I mean, we, no. we knew that a year and a half ago almost. Probably by March, we knew there was real inflation, not transitory and not something to just shake off. So I, I don't look. People always ask, uh, who's really the president? And, you know, Joe Biden's the president. He Joe Biden's elected. the president, yeah. He sleeps in the White House bed, wherever that is. He sits behind the desk. Okay, he's the president. But there's no doubt that Ron Klain is calling a lot of the shots. People don't talk about Ron Klain much, but you look at his Twitter feed. If he retweets you, it's like the greatest day of your life. You're a Democrat. And, and he's probably setting a lot of the policies with, um, what's her name, from the Obama administration, Sue Rice, Susan Rice, yep. down there pushing things farther left, probably. So, yeah, Joe Biden is the president, but who's calling the shots? Probably, like a lot of administrations, probably the chief of staff and one of the top advisors. And neither of those people have a great reputation for being sensible or moderate, in my opinion. In my right. Right. But I mean, to get back to your point, the reason why I think that I think you, you, you point out something uh, pretty sharp about the identity politics, which went into appointing those people in the first place, which would make it a little bit more difficult to shake things up now, but not impossible. It's just that I don't think that Joe Biden has Joe Biden or Ron Klain or or any of them in the West Wing have the uh, any of the senior people in the West Wing have the introspection to recognize where they're making mistakes, right? And and this came up in something I was writing the other day. I think it was yesterday, actually, um, we're, as we're talking about this, um, about what I, it may have been Ramesh Panuru who who wrote that the problems in the Democratic Party go way beyond Joe Biden. They would have implemented these policies anyway, and they still would have worked out really badly. But it, it, with all the people who were in the 2020 primary cycle, right? And they were all to the left of Joe Biden. Amy Klobuchar was probably the closest to the center, right? Who 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 may have been, other than Joe Biden, 
the best position to go after Donald Trump in a general election. And I don't think that Amy Klobuchar was terribly well positioned. Minnesota politicians don't tend to do well in national elections. But at least politically speaking, she's probably sort of in that same range. And I'd written about that a couple of years ago. And my thought on this was if they had nominated Amy Klobuchar, yeah, we would have gotten the exact same policies in there for the first six months. But I think Klobuchar and pretty much anybody else would have been smart enough, adept enough to realize when things were going off the rails and started making some changes. You know, yeah. Joe, B Joe Biden has never, ever, 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 ever thought himself wrong on anything, ever. Which is amazing because even Barack Obama, rumors have it, and others who seem to like Joe Biden now would tell you that he's been wrong quite often in his career, and not to mention a little bit has the verbal diarrhea and, and you know, tends to wander off into subjects and has been wrong on foreign policy, as, as Robert Gates said, pretty much for 40 or 50 years. I think you're right. Um, it, 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 yeah, yeah. So it is the age and the quote unquote messaging, which is really just a cop out to blame voters, which I hate when they say the messaging. Like right. They're too dumb to realize how smart we are um, is a major factor. But any any president would have been pushed by the far left. So I know the far left would tell you he's not far left enough because he hasn't yet abolish the filibuster, which you can't really do, and, and pack the court and all that. But in reality, it's the policies. It is the policies. They are, The policies are bad. And it doesn't matter if you're 80 years old or a moderate or whatever. If you're pushing these policies that come from AOC or Susan Rice, uh, they're going to hurt the country. And Joe Manchin is the only one saving him from being even worse. I, ironically, and I'm going to write about this in my next column, obviously, they should be applauding and thanking Joe Manchin for stopping this agenda instead of vilifying him and demonizing him because if Biden had had his way on a lot of these spending packages, inflation would be worse. The economy much would be worse. worse. Everything much would be worse. worse. Right. Much worse. You won't convince them of this, but it would have been much worse. Now, there was something interesting. We're recording this on Tuesday, and this may be nothing, may turn out to be nothing. But they had a Democrat Senate Democrat caucus meeting today, strategy meeting. And Manchin wasn't part of it. It's one of the luncheons, right? They do this on a regular basis. And today... Manchin was not part of that discussion. She, he, he did not attend the, the, the caucus luncheon to discuss strategy. Was he invited? I assume that he would just have an open invitation to be there. I don't know what the situation the was. If he wasn't invited, that's odd. If he chose not to go, that's also odd. But also also mm -hmm. odd. Um, and, uh, you know, Macy Hirono was complaining okay. that uh, the 50-50... <laughs> I thought I knew all I had to say was Maisie Hirono. I haven't heard her name in a while. I forgot. Whenever I think of the crazy people, I think of Bernie and Liz and Kamala when she was there. And oh, Maisie Hirono, yeah, she almost takes the cake. Yeah. Yeah, she she said you know, she's being pressed on on what happened with Manchin. And she says, you know, well, the 50-50 Senate sucks. You know, and, and I, I, I thought about that for a bit because I understand what she means by that. But it wasn't all that long ago that they were really happy to get a 50 50 senate because it didn't look like they were going to get the senate at it all would, it, 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 we don't need to get into it but it would have and could have and should have been 51 or 52 republicans yes not for eight weeks between the election and georgia where a certain former president may have suppressed the vote in georgia yep yep okay. yep <laughs> i agree i don't disagree with you on that and fact, uh but but, you know. but it but it is interesting that suddenly 50 50 looks bad to democrats and uh, I, I made this lengthy argument, and uh, I'll get into that later. But, I mean, I do think that, yes, they should be thanking Joe Manchin, but they're clearly not. 
they're clearly so they're, still they're pressing not, ahead. He's setting the world on fire, John Podesta said. He's literally, he's sitting there in West Virginia with a match setting the world on fire. That's why it's 100 degrees in London for one day because of Joe Colbaron Mansion. He's destroying the earth. I thought that was what Republicans did. Well, I think they're calling him a Republic, a, a Democrat oh, in name that. only, right? So he does but, represent West Virginia. Let's not forget. Right. Yeah, we're, we're, we're Joe Biden is Joe Biden is currently at sixteen seventy five in terms of not job approval, but right. personal favorability is sixteen seventy five in the latest civics. Um, well, right. I mean, tracking. It, so it, it, I've always said this. It's a borrowed seat. I, I, I don't agree with Joe Manchin on a lot of things, of course. It's a borrowed seat. It would be as if Republicans had a Senate seat in Vermont or Oregon. It's a borrowed seat. It's a Republican seat, essentially. When Joe Manchin retires, and I do believe he will not run for re-election in 2024, he's 76 years old. He's not running for re-election. He's had enough. He's done what he can do. It'll be a Republican seat for generations. And all things being equal, the Senate is 51-49 Republicans then. So they're, they're lucky they have him. They should. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. we agree. But but the, to the point, though, is that even at this stage where they really should be stopping and thinking, maybe we really need to start triangulating a little bit hmm. back to the center, especially as the midterms are approaching so we can chalk up some wins. They're still not doing that. Joe Biden's not doing that. You know, the, the, the White House isn't doing that. They're not giving any indication that they're willing to flex at all. For instance, and again, we're talking on Tuesday, in the morning, uh, a guy named Amos Hochstein, who I'd almost never heard of before, who was one of... Amos Hochstein, that's a great name. It is, it's a great name. Um, and he kind of looks a little bit like um, Emo Phillips when you see him in this clip on CNN. Um, and AJ's checking out who... Amos Hochstein is at the moment, but he was on CNN talking to John Berman on Tuesday morning. Yeah, right? he's an Israeli. I, I now I know who he is. Yes, he's an, okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, sharp guy, right? But I mean, he's 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 on there, and he's Berman's asking him about you know incentivizing more oil and gas production here in, and refining in the United States to bring prices down. And the answer is, well, we want them to do you know, the stuff that they can do in, in the short term, but we don't want to, we don't want to incentivize uh, oil production in the, in the long term. So we don't want to start 20 year projects because we're, we don't want those. <laughs> well, then pal, you're getting what you want. You're and, and politically speaking, you're going to get it really good and hard in about, about three months. Well, they may adjust after that. I mean, Obama didn't, Obama got crushed in 2010, but he, and he didn't really triangulate as you recall, Right. Obama had was pretty at, a, at his lowest popularity, probably either right before or maybe even after the 2012 election. He, he regained a little bit the final two years, but he never triangulated. And he was still around the election because when he was on the ballot as a singular person, he always did well. But his party never did well when he ran when, during his time. And of course, Biden, you know, you and I probably agree he's not running. And that's a whole different discussion. That could be a two hour show about where the Democrats go from here. Right. Because um, it's, it's, it's complicated. Very complicated. Very complicated. Yes. Very, very complicated. Um, all right, so um, I, I, I agree with you. I think it's interesting that we haven't seen any um, cabinet reshuffles yet. Normally, a president doing this bad would be looking to do that just for the just for the sake of getting a reset, even if it's a momentary reset. You know, well, we're changing personnel. Let's see what the new policies look like. It gives you a couple of months of breathing room, usually, in, in those sorts of situations. It's not happening here. And it really makes me feel as though, A, they have no intention of changing policy direction at all, but also, B, they're asleep at the switch. 
Uh, but both of those probably are correct. Yes. So, um, all right. So what else are you writing it? I, I, I want to hold off the Arizona and Missouri um, uh, discussion to the end. What else are you writing over at Alpha News? Well, I wrote something that got posted yesterday. I was traveling last week. I took a trip to the Northeast, which reminded me why I don't live in the Northeast. Um, you know, beautiful surroundings when you get up to upstate New York, parts of Pennsylvania, into New England. But the cities are terrible. Um, Hartford, Rochester, Albany, uh, Providence, just really not great cities. Anyway, and, and people aren't as friendly as they are in the Midwest or the South. But I, I was near Boston and realized they were having the, uh, not the NEA, but the AFT. They've got to have two large teachers unions because there's so many members, I suppose. So the second largest teachers union had their annual convention down uh, in a beautiful convention center by the waterfront in Boston. Big, big convention. I mean, this look. This could have been the American Medical Association. You think these are hard to believe? These are public sector employees, but they had their convention, four and a half days worth. Dr. Jill Biden uh, spoke there, coming off her her uh, Texas tacos uh, breakfast tacos um, breakfast right, tacos. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and her speech was 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 you know the just kind of claptrap boilerplate, but my, my, like most teachers union conferences, there was nothing for the kids there. There was nothing, not a thing. At least. The 126 page agenda, which I read most of um, in order to compile this list of what was going on, was just purely politics. It was indistinguishable from the Democratic Party platform. I mean, aside yeah. from the, having the word equity everywhere, you had critical race theory, you had abortion, condemning the Supreme Court, you had gender identity, opposition to fossil fuels, a lot of stuff on LGBTQ 1AA6 or 2, criticizing Ron DeSantis for saying don't say gay, which he never did. And my favorite one, praising communist Cuba's healthcare industry for, quote, leading the way in medical internationalism and solidarity, which is an interesting way to put it. I guess the teachers unions do have sort of a Cuban style, you know, public sector healthcare I mean, plan. But yeah, I mean, this is basically the, the, the Stalinist hard left. This is international answer territory, basically. Yeah, this, this is a crazy group. I, I you know, I, I assume the average teacher who teaches math in Topeka, Kansas was not there. The, the, the Berkeley chapter had the most representation. I read that. So you can figure out who's there. The yeah. Berkeley, yeah. So they Kel were Kel Surprise. What? Kel Surprise. Yeah. What a shock. They, the, the, the Berkeley chapter was had like three big resolutions I read about that talked about the Supreme Court and abortion and, uh, and gay rights and all that. So anyway, it was, it was, a, it was just a, a cluster, you know what. And uh, I talked to some people on the street who you know just walked up to them a couple of them said they were democrats when i showed them what they were talking about they couldn't believe it this is the kind of thing most people still don't realize even after two and a half years of randy weingarten's criminality and locking kids out of school and everything else and the politics of it and supporting democrat candidates at every election people still don't realize it at least some don't uh, but maybe more will if they keep reading and hearing about it but i noticed the media doesn't cover the teachers union convention because it would be kind of embarrassing frankly. Well, that's the media doesn't cover a lot of things. It's a good thing that no. you're doing it at alphanews.org, but but the media doesn't cover a lot of these types of things. And uh, yes, I mean, I think it shows you just how hardline, you know, borderline communists, and not even borderline communists, if you're praising Cuba's uh, yeah. healthcare system for its leading internationalism. Um, <laughs> internationalism, yes. Yes, you're, you, you've, you've really gone around the bend and, and you're, you're telling me that opposing fossil fuels does not help fourth graders learn division long division I, I i will go you one better i think that uh that not teaching uh fourth graders 
about gender theory probably leaves a little bit more room for things like long division. <laughs> long division. Come on, Ed. Not, yeah, I have to use that stuff. <laughs> we got calculators for that. Now we're just into now we're just into cultural indoctrination, which is again a, a big favorite among Stalinists <laughs> from way way back. It is get, get them while they're young or something like that. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole Lenin quote about the young. Yes, I, I, I can't I can't pull it out of my head immediately, so I'm not gonna even going to try to do that. But this is clearly part of that process, and I think it's really interesting too because. Democrats really allied themselves with these teachers unions during the um, shutdown and never really disentangled themselves from Randy Weingarten and, and the no, others. She was, she was a big supporter of McAuliffe in Virginia, don't forget. She was at several right. rallies she spoke, and that was that didn't go well for the Democrats. In the, it didn't, and, and education was a was actually an election issue. Parental yes. access to uh, parental access and control over education was a big issue, and it flipped Virginia red, which was Absolutely. a shock. It was a it was a shocking result, and I don't think Democrats still have quite figured out what no, the lesson we'll is there. See, we'll see if that affects elections in uh, Arizona, Missouri, Wisconsin, and, and Ohio, and elsewhere come the fall. Well, that's in this business. That's what's known as a segue. That's so and, good. So good. <laughs> So AJ, what's what's happening in Missouri and Arizona in in the midterms? They're coming up in a, in a little over a week now, I think. Right. So there's there's still a few primaries left, um, and a few of them are in key states. I, Florida still has one. Marco Rubio is probably going to will help be the nominee against oh, Val Demings yeah. most likely. Um, there's one in New Hampshire in September, which one of the few seats Republicans are hoping to maybe pick up. But the ones that are key, uh, Wisconsin's going to be Ron Johnson, and, and he's going to have a tough battle in that state uh, as he's become a little farther right than maybe his purplish state would like. But Arizona, Missouri, catch my attention, and in Missouri in particular because of a man named Eric Greitens, who, who you know about. Oh, yeah. And outside of Missouri and people who follow politics closely may not remember, he's a kind of a bad dude. I actually, I actually know a, a really close friend of his who said all the right things about him and, and loved him and said he's a great governor until he wound up being sort of a sexual deviant and a spousal abuser and, and just a really, well, you can read about it. But Greitens is running for Senate, despite having to resign as governor. And he's running and you think he'd have no chance, but in a bigger field, he is in many polls leading. And he's got a couple of major opponents, uh, the Attorney General Schmidt, um, whose first name escapes me, and uh, two congressmen, two state congressmen, Vicki Hartzler and Billy Long. And he is, you know, polling at 25, 30%, which gives him a slight lead. And, you know, there's been talk about Schmidt and uh, uh, and, and Hartzler getting together and, and, you know, one of them dropping out so they could defeat Greitens, but that's not going to happen, I don't think. Uh, super PACs and Republican donors have poured money into uh, any campaign against Greitens and ads against him, hammering his liabilities into the minds of voters. Um, now that you can call that donor, the donor class or the establishment, whatever, but I think they want to win the seat. And the idea, of course, is that Greitens will have a t may not be able to win the general in a red state, a state that's quite red. I mean, double digit right. Republican wins um, two Republican senators. Josh Hawley won easily over incumbent Claire McCaskill. So I prefer to win and I'd like to see someone who can win. And it doesn't seem to be Greitens. He, you know, he might win, but the other two will win, I think is the point. Right. So Greitens, of course, is Scott, you know, just kind of laughing at these these ads saying, I got a quote here, fake poll numbers peddled by grifters are an albatross in the political world. And Governor Greitens, speaking about himself, I guess, will become the next U.S. senator from Missouri. So, you know, his wife may disagree with that. She testified against him. And Hartzler has called for him to drop out of the race, denouncing him. 
And Schmidt has basically tried to just talk about how he's a better candidate. He's not going after Greitens quite as much. He's the attorney general. Um, yeah. We'll see what happens. Yeah, you know, and I think that that's, I mean, I think it's a smarter strategy to sell yourself rather than, especially on a for the candidate himself to to sell himself rather than go after his opponents you you let other people in the campaign do that but um yeah that that that's a mess how about arizona what's going on in arizona i just wanted to add by the way that hartzler is endorsed by the sitting senator josh hawley and schmidt is endorsed by uh ted cruz and mike lee and a few others so there's a yep. split but no one's endorsing Greitens. trump has not chosen who to endorse but he may throw Greitens a lifeline at the end. He said nice things about him. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah. Thing. Great. Okay. He's tough and smart. You know. Okay. Arizona's another confusing one. The governor's race is a mess. You may have seen three weeks ago the interview with Carrie Lake, who's the maybe the front runner. She's crazy. Her whole campaign is about the 2020 election being stolen. Trump has endorsed her. She might get the nomination. She will lose if she gets the nomination and badly. She's crazy. I mean, I wouldn't even vote for her. Um, unfortunately, in the Senate race. You know, it is what it is. Arizona has a Republican Party that's been a problem lately. They've got, I believe, four main candidates. Uh, the governor, Doug Ducey, who's a pretty good governor, he decided not to run. Um, and in the Senate race, you have a retired general, uh, Michael McGuire, uh, and a businessman, Jim Lamont. And then you have uh, Blake Masters, who's the Trump-endorsed venture capitalist, Peter Thiel, populist, globalist, whatever you want to call him. He's got everything for you. Blake Masters is only 35 and he's leading. But again, I'm not a pessimist uh, in the sense I, I don't believe the country's headed to doom or our best days are behind us, like some people say, but I don't believe Blake Masters will win. And I think, you know, when you start looking at these things like Arizona, Missouri, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, it's going to be very, very difficult for Republicans to take the Senate. And it's probably more likely, and I know our listeners don't want to hear it, if we have Blake Masters as the nominee and we have Eric Reitens and we already have Ron Johnson, Dr. Oz, J.D. Vance, who probably will win, but you never know, Ted Budd in North Carolina, Herschel Walker in Georgia, it's more likely we're going to lose a couple seats than win a couple seats right now. Now, maybe things will change. You know, the House races are always about national trends. No one knows who the candidates are, usually, the joke is. Senate race is usually about the candidate, and Blake Masters is going to have trouble beating whoever the Democrats run, Hobbs, I believe her name is. Whereas I think, again, I know people in Arizona, including my parents, McGuire and Lamont and maybe even Brnovich, you've probably seen on cable news. He's the attorney general. Sure, yeah. But better chance of defeating Mark Kelly, who ran as a moderate and has become mostly, with a few exceptions, a rubber stamp for Biden. But he also has a lot of cash on hand and probably is still the pick to win. All right. Well, that's what's going on in the in the uh, midterms and uh, excuse me, the primaries, I should say, in Missouri and Arizona. AJ Kaufman at alphanews.org. That's where you can find him. He isn't on Twitter because he's smart. Alphanews.org. AJ, thanks for thanks for coming by. And we're going to do this again soon. All right, Ed. Great talking to you. Great talking to you. Stand by for more from the Ed Morrissey Show. Thank you for watching and listening to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast. Be sure to subscribe at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube to get alerted as soon as new episodes get published. You can support the Ed Morrissey Show and Hot Air's VIP reporting by becoming a VIP member, too. Visit hotairvip.com and use the promo code SAVEAMERICA, all one word, for 40% off your membership. Choose VIP Gold and gain membership to access to all of the town hall sites. Thanks again for watching and listening.